0: Hello and welcome to Scran, the podcast passionate about the Scottish food and drink scene. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and it's that time of the year when thoughts turn to Valentine's Day. Love it or hate it, we can all get on board with one of the more palatable trappings of the season, chocolate. On this episode, I enjoyed a first time experience pairing whisky and chocolate. The results were surprising. I was guided by Rachel McCormack, author of Chasing the Dram, and Cameron Dixon of Bare Bones Chocolate. Then I headed north to speak to Jamie Hutchin, who from a young age was enchanted by the kitchen. He turned this passion into a career and now runs Coco Ooze. He tells me about the challenges faced by a small chocolate business and all about why he loves it so much. I'm in the pot still pub in Glasgow. It's a lovely way to be spending a Wednesday um, with Rachel McCormick and Cameron Dixon from Bare Bones. And we're going to chat about pairing whisky with chocolate. So Rachel, could you just tell me a bit about how you got to this point? Because you've set up a subscription service for whisky and chocolate pairing.
1: Well, the reason that I d- did this was I did an event in the summer with Spencer Hyman from Cocoa Runners and what Spencer does is Spencer buys in all of the best craft chocolate from around the world and then sells it on his website. And you know he's got bare bones chocolate but he's also got chocolate from Madagascar, and he's got chocolate that's made in Ecuador. She's got chocolate from all over the world, but it's proper craft chocolate. So it's chocolate makers buying the cocoa beans, roasting themselves, and then make the chocolate. So what you end up with is a lot of bars that have really different tastes, even though a lot of the time they've only got three ingredients. And whiskey's only got three ingredients. It's really only got water, a grain, and yeast, and nothing else. And craft chocolate is the same so you're essentially buying a bar of chocolate but it's a completely different experience from buying mass-produced chocolate and it's a completely different experience from buying a chocolatier's chocolate because a chocolatier maybe makes a truffle that's like a flavoured chocolate that's more like a cocktail. These bars are more like having whiskey because they are all the same ingredients with massively different tastes depending on the cocoa beans they've used, the percentages of sugar they've used, how the how the chocolate maker themselves has made the chocolate, and it's, just, it's really the same with whiskey. And it really amazed me about how, to me, it's normal that a whiskey with the same ingredients tastes really different, and it wasn't normal that chocolate with the same ingredients could taste incredibly different. So I've really just fallen in love in the past few months with craft chocolate, and I've basically spent about six months drinking whiskey and eating chocolate. Which sounds amazing. It sometimes isn't as good as it sounds. You get to the point where you sit and you're sweating whiskey and chocolate thinking everybody thinks that the NHS are the heroes of 2021. No one is thinking of me. But, you know, there are worse ways to spend a day. What is your background? I mean, you've you've been in whiskey for a long time, is that right? Actually, my background is what I know about is Spanish food. I do a radio programme on Radio 4 sometimes called The Kitchen Cabinet, but I, I worked quite a lot of years in London doing a lot of promotion of Catalan food because that was the food in Spain that I knew the most. What happened was, was nobody wanted to give me a book deal because it was coming to the point where, because my surname was not Lopez and neither is my granny's surname, Lopez, nobody wanted to give me a book deal at all about Spanish food. And then I kind of was looking at Scotland and whisky, realising that so much of what I know about Spanish food and culture in Scotland is very much around whisky. People do and say things about whisky that Spanish people do and say about food. You know, if you see people who like whisky from Scotland, very often their favourite whisky is either the one they had with their parents or the whisky from the place that's near where they're from. And that kind of localness with whisky is something that I don't think Scottish people actually pay much attention to. So that was my interest in whisky was very much about it culturally and what it means to Scotland in the way that that food and and wine means to Spanish people. So that's kind of how I got into whisky and then I find it really, really interesting as well the different flavours you get from the same ingredients and it's now kind of how I've got into craft chocolate because again it's the different flavours you get from the same ingredients.
0: And are you seeing this as a way to kind of bring more people into whisky or just part of people's education or what, what is the kind of goal for this?
1: Honest what I really think we need to do is it's trying to bring people that drink whisky into craft chocolate because I think they're missing out I think they see chocolate as something quite frivolous and they're maybe used to very sweet truffles and I think people that like the different flavours of whiskey would really like the different flavours of chocolate if they gave it a chance and paid attention. I mean one of the problems you have I think about selling craft chocolate is that you can buy a bar for a pound in, in the supermarket and whereas you know craft chocolate bars maybe start about six, seven pounds and can be as much as ten and eleven pounds at the same time people who are in whiskey understand that you can buy a bottle of whiskey in the supermarket for £10 and they don't buy that they go and buy other things because they understand that what they're, they're getting what they pay for and trying to get whiskey people more into chocolate is, is a really I think is a really good way of doing things one of the other things I think is the whiskey industry is kind of where the craft chocolate industry would like to be in that you know people get a decent wage for growing barley for the whiskey industry you know farmers in Aberdeenshire do quite well out of the whiskey industry and traditionally cocoa farmers have done incredibly badly at the chocolate industry. You know, they've destroyed the rainforest. You know, there's child slavery problems. And the big thing, I think, with craft chocolate is because they're buying the beans direct, often there are really big projects where the farmers are getting paid three times the amount that they were getting paid from someone else. It's given them a chance to grow back the rainforest. They're growing really good types of cocoa beans. So you're getting different types of cocoa beans on the market and they're able to educate their kids. And I think that's something that people that like whiskey would should really help to support because... In the end, one of the reasons the whisky industry is so successful is because the people in the industry are treated well. Just to go back to a little bit about you, your knowledge and understanding of Spanish food and culture, is that a family thing? Well, I lived there for about seven years. I lived there for most of my twenties, so that was what I knew. So when I moved to London and started to do food stuff, I just did Spanish food stuff because that was what I knew. And I knew something about Scottish food, but not very much. Is your family like foodies? or Did you come from that kind of background? Um. I think we probably, when I was growing up, spent more on food than most people did. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, for them, food was something important. I mean, if we had extra money, we got better food. We didn't get more stuff. You know, they kind of moved from steak sausage casseroles twice a week to steak once a week when there was more money. So, yeah, they were quite interested in food and they could see the importance of it. To just go back to the chocolate whiskey, mm-hmm. you're, it's available now, is that right? It's available online on the Cocoa Runners website. So if you look up the Cocoa Runners website, you'll see we've got, you can you can sign up and you can get a gift box or you can get like a, a subscription and you'll get three 50ml of whiskey and three <laughs> chocolate bars every month. And I think um, our third box will feature um, some bare bones chocolate. Can't remember exactly with which whiskey so i might have to try that again try i might have to try the whiskey again to see which goes but in the third box you'll be getting some bare, bare bones whiskey in the box how does that sort of sit with you i mean obviously it's quite good
0: for you but is this like a new sort of way for you to think about your chocolate
2: yeah definitely because at the start all we were doing was experimenting with chocolate and just focusing on how to get the most incredible flavors from a cocoa bean and we did that for a long time and then we paired it with wine and that was incredible. And then and then when we sat down with Rachel and tasted some whiskies it was just this whole other revelation again. The two when they pair, it's incredible because flavours come from each that you don't expect.
0: So we're going to do a whiskey and chocolate tasting now. As I said, we're in the pot still, so that's where we've got the whiskies from. And we've got three whiskies and three chocolates, so Rachel, sure what are the whiskies and what are the chocolates? So
1: the first is a Glen Cadham number 10, a 10-year-old, 10 so it's quite a soft Highland whisky and I'm really surprised at what I found it went with the other day. is a milk chocolate from a company called Pump Street, who are based in Suffolk, and it's a 58% Madagascar milk chocolate, so so, their beans are from Madagascar, from an estate that was set up by a Swedish guy who was trying to kind of get, again, do that do that thing where cocoa farmers were getting a decent living. So, they created this big estate to make really good cocoa beans. So, we're doing that's the first one. The second one is an Ochentoschen 12, and it's been aged in a cherry cask and a bourbon cask. And it's, a, now to remember it, it's normally got quite a hazelnutty flavours, and we're going to try it with both of the chocolates that Cameron has brought. He's brought a 70% Madagascar and you'll see again the totally different taste and beans that Cameron gets to the Madagascar are just beside the Ackesans Plantation. and But you'll see it's a really different taste of chocolate which again I think is, is, is really <coughs> interesting for whiskey drinkers. But We're going to try the Torsion with both the Madagascar and his uh, single origin a salted dark milk chocolate uh, which is 68% from the Dominican Republic with the contortion, and then we've got an Ardbeg 10, which is, you know, kind of st- your standard Isla whisky, which is really Peaty, and we've got different chocolates, so we're just going to see which one that matches with, or if it matches with one of the Bare Bones chocolates or something else we've got. So all you have to do is just try and see how that goes.
0: Would it be obvious to someone who's maybe not as experienced as you that oh this this goes really well or this doesn't go so well? Is it an obvious sort of thing or is it are you relying on someone saying okay these go well together?
1: The thing is it's not been it's not been codified yet. Like craft chocolate and whiskey is really a new pairing. Them is a really new thing. So well the problem that we have is we're, we're not quite sure yet. It's it, it's really just practicing. Genuinely, it's been me, or been me with Cameron and Lara, or been me in London with Spencer, just eating eat chocolate and try and whiskey so at the moment i'm not sure we've not we've not quite got it codified yet because we're still in the exploration i think a lot of it is you just got to try and i mean i have sat there and thought oh that'll go really well with that and then i've tried the whiskey and tried the chocolate and got oh that doesn't work and then something else that i thought oh that won't go let's try it and we try it and we're like that's amazing first thing you do is you take the whiskey and then you smell the whiskey so this is like the Glen Cadam. and then you have a wee sip of the whiskey, and you can let that, that go right round your mouth. So you've got the flavours of that which is kind of quite soft, it's kind of green. And then what you do is you take a tiny bit of the chocolate, so I'll give it to you, and don't chew it. What you do with the chocolate is you let the chocolate melt in your mouth until you've got the f- proper flavour of the chocolate. Yeah. And once you've started to melt and you can feel the flavour of the chocolate in your mouth, you can feel the textures of it coating coat your mouth. Coke Runners have done a, a big flavour wave that you can actually just download from their website about how the chocolate tastes so that you can start to look at that and, and see whether something's silky, whether it's softer, whether it's oily or whether it's waxy, what kind of textures it has, what kind of flavours it's got in your mouth. And when you've still got a wee bit of chocolate in your mouth and you can still taste the chocolate, have another wee bit of whisky and you should see that what you should get is a third flavour. I've made a rookie mistake by putting the whole bit in. <laughs> it was a tiny bit, but well, I've got used to putting tiny bits in because I end up having to taste so much. You've got the flavour in your mouth now. Have you another wee bit whisky. Now, that to me brings out almost a sulphur taste at the very beginning of the whisky. You get a creaminess in the chocolate that you did you didn't get with the chocolate on its own. And I think you get a really nice aftertaste that doesn't. It's not burnt. It's not a burnt, but you get you get more wood from the whisky, and then the chocolate. If you keep keep it going a wee bit it's not as sweet as it was it, it's a really different thing I think you get the, because people have been doing chocolate and wine f- flavorings but some p- pairings but they're one of the reasons I think whiskey works better is because it's got those stronger flavors than wine has obviously because they're more concentrated so when you have the flavors concentrated of chocolate and then you've got the flavors of the whiskey is the, they match better that you get a much better hit the only problem is when it doesn't work it makes chocolate tastes terrible and whiskey tastes <laughs> off and whiskey never goes off you have a really nice whiskey and a really nice chocolate and they don't go i mean cameron i'll tell you be like we've been in, in his factory and he's gone my chocolate's terrible and i'm like no it's-. <laughs> it's like then it's like no it's not i mean then he tries it something with then he tries it with another whiskey and he's like oh my god this is amazing i didn't know my chocolate tasted like that so sometimes it doesn't work and the only way you can know is by trying. So what do you think of that?
2: I thought that was really interesting. I thought it brought out a lot more of the caramel notes of the chocolate.
0: So you're a whisky drinker anyway, so it's been quite in- interesting for you to sort of see that side of whiskey.
2: No, I haven't been drinking whiskey, which has been really interesting. Doing the whiskey tastings with Rachel without chocolate and then in them with chocolate was pretty amazing. Learning how similar they are.
1: So now we are... Now let's try the Ocintosh 12 minutes. I don't know how this will go. So we're going to try this with two different chocolate, two different bare bones chocolate. It's a 70% Madagascar bean, it's a dark chocolate, so it doesn't have any any milk powder in it. And there's another one, which is a 68% Dominican chocolate, and it's got salt in it. And salt generally goes goes incredibly well with a briny whiskey, but we're going to try it with an Ocintoshan, which is quite soft and got quite a lot of hazelnut notes, and it might not work. But you have lovely chocolate and you have lovely whiskey and we need to give it a go. Yeah, this could be interesting. You want to um, finish your... Around. Just you just um, just down it. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> <I joke laughs> uh, it's quite rich in your mouth. Like mm-hmm. I can see why you've been needing to drink lots of water and stuff. You start to get a feel for things, but I think in the next, I mean, I think to be honest, one of the things that we'll do with whis- the whiskey and chocolate is we will start codifying it in about in the next few months. At the moment, we're just kind of playing around and experimenting and seeing what works. But um, there's probably another couple of people that we'll work with. There's a professor of philosophy at taste at UCL, Barry Smith, and he'll probably work with us to help codify what works and what doesn't so that we've got a much better idea than just try some but the problem is we're at such early stages right now it is very much try a chocolate, try a whisky, see what you think And when you say codify, do you mean put it down as in this is definitely how things are going to work? Is, there are always exceptions it's the same with any kind of wine tasting or any kind of chocolate you know, you make a chocolate, you take a cocoa bean and you do a certain thing to it and you assume this is the taste you'll get and it isn't always the taste you get but ballpark, in the same way I suppose with whiskey, you've got ballpark flavours you know Islay whiskey, there are some really soft Islay whiskies. there are some whiskies on Islay that don't have any peat in them but there's a ballpark Isle of flavor. There's a ballpark space side whiskey. Again, there's a great variety within that, and also nowadays, especially different distilleries are doing peated whiskies or they're doing unpeated whiskies. So there are always exceptions, but you at least need to know the general direction you're going in, which is what we're going to try and work out in the next sort of next year. That's one of the plans. Okay. So well, we'll try this. See what you what do you think of the yeah. open? What do you think of the open toast? It's nice. Really sweet. It's really sweet and really hazelnutty. And I'm wondering about the dark chocolate with the salt. This will either go be the most amazing thing, or it won't. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, this is the thing. I mean, you start off with really good chocolate like like we have, and really good whiskey like we have. You know it'll work. You just have to find the one that works. Let's see. Oh yeah, it's the salt. It's the salt. It's a good idea with that, because it's a total contrast. That makes that whiskey taste really different. You don't get the same haze on that note.
2: You almost get cream tones coming through from the chocolate um, when paired with the whiskey, although there's no milk,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which is really interesting.
1: It really changes the chocolate. It brings out tones that you, do, you didn't notice before. And it does the same with the whiskey. That's what you're looking for. That was unexpected. I wouldn't have automatically gone for something like an occultation and a, a dark salted chocolate. But that actually works really well.
0: Cause you were saying earlier the salt would be better with like a kind of briny, kinda of almost like seaside
1: old Pulteney or something. Yeah, that was the one I p- we paired this chocolate with before with old Pulteney and it was fabulous. But this is really nice, but it's just a different nice Which I think is again it's really interesting. It's is they go together and some go better than others, but also you get different ways they go together. This if we had old Pulteney, I think you would feel there was notes brought out in the chocolate that aren't being brought out with all contortion, but there are other ones that aren't that that you wouldn't notice that you do notice because you're having all contortion
0: yeah, It's fascinating because like you say both things are three ingredients and the sort of things you can get from them are almost endless
1: when you start putting them together I think the problem is is that so many people are used to this with wine tasting and think end up thinking it's really pretentious but if you actually pay attention to this kind of thing it's really good fun You know, I mean, I always said about about whiskey, essentially tasting whiskey and sitting about and getting different flavours. It was like middle-aged clubbing, you know. I mean, I have hung up my hot pants a long, many, many years ago. I think I'd frighten people if I put them on. (laughs) You know, this is great fun. And I think with with chocolate and whiskey, it's even better fun. It's a really, really good thing to do. And
0: it's, like you say, quite sociable. You
1: can have your pals round and do this. It's like something different. You know, we all need something different to do that's fun. You know, and even if you like got pals that are quite far away, you can you can do it together online, but also you can do it in person with like you bring you know you bring some whiskey, you bring some chocolate, you bring some whiskey, you bring some chocolate, and we'll all just have it all together. And what has been your absolute worst? I genuinely can't remember because most of the time I'm trying with. Whis- whiskey and chocolate go that doesn't work and because it doesn't work I don't remember it I'm just I don't want that it's not going to work the one I found the 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 whiskey I found actually really hard to pair at first was brew laddie whiskey they just the straight classic laddie because it's got a kind of lactic taste it's not like it's not got very many fruits in it and I think I went through about 15 different dark chocolates like not the whole bar but bits of it and I could not get anything that made that made brew laddie taste better everything just made it taste worse and it didn't go with any chocolates at all and eventually i found it with a really soft it was like a 36 percent chocolate so it was quite a milky chocolate kind of had it had some kind of caramelly flavors in it and that really changed the brew taste and made it really good but it took me quite a while to find a pairing for the brew so so we're now are we going to try the 70 percent with so we're going to try in the herb bag with the bare bones 70 percent which is the Madagascar, Madagascar dark chocolate, and see what we think of that. Again, we don't know because we've never tried our bag with this. I think the last, the one that I got, the one that I went got to go with this, it was really nice. Was Glen going? I had a Glen going that went really well with the seventy percent Madagascar. It was a one of their special special bottlings. I think it was like their Series Eight, and it went really well with Madagascar seventy from Barebones. Bones. But let's try it with our bag. No, it's not terrible, but it's not doing anything for the chocolate, and it's not doing anything for the whiskey. That'll go better. That seventy percent Madagascar will go better with like a knock and torsion. It's not. It, it's not bringing out anything nice in an ad and it's and the ad not bringing out anything nice in the chocolate. It's just flattening it completely. So it's not making it horrible, but it's just making it nothing. And that's a really good chocolate with a lot of flavor in it be better with the contortion, I think. As a
2: chocolate, that's Madagascar 70% dark should have taste notes of cherry, maple syrup, a nice balanced um, sweetness um, and a little bit of citrus notes. And you're not
1: getting, not with
2: that big? Mm, not with the whiskey.
1: But I think we should try it with contortion, and I think we'll get what Cameron's saying. One of the problems is, is because although you've got a guide with, with somebody's chocolate, so you've got a you know, bare bones chocolate here, it's telling you it's from you know that it's from a single estate in Madagascar. It's 70% cocoa. They say maybe got sugar in it and that's probably all it's got. The problem you have is the way that bare bones make their chocolate can be so different to the way that somebody else makes their chocolate in the same way that whiskey has got the same ingredients. They're still shaped slightly different. Even if they're all in bourbon barrels for 10 years and it's almost the same barrels, you get a really different taste. You, you just generally have to know by knowing. So to know really well what will match, you have to know the chocolate really well. Because percentage-wise, the cocoa bean that comes from can give you a guide, but unless you've actually tried the chocolate with a whiskey, you won't know. So let's try it with a wee bit of the Auchentoshan. Yeah, that works much better. Because that's also bringing out the hazelnut of the Ocantosian. See the the notes that Karen was talking about? You can taste them now, whereas the hard bag just flattened them. At the end, you can really you can really taste the notes in the chocolate because it's a big thing in neuroscience at the moment, all different tastes and flavours and why they, go, why they go together and why they don't. And, you know, there is a thing about what, what is just your palate and what actually is a pairing that works. There must be an objective code about which chocolate goes with which whiskey and why, what flavours notes go together and which ones don't. What I've noticed in the tastings that we do, there's never ever a clear favourite. So if the pairing works, the pairing works. But it's how it works and why it works that I'm still... We're still trying to learn. Next year, we'll try and work figure that out with different people and sort of who are already doing research into different tastes and flavors. Desert Island Jams. If you could only take three whiskies onto Desert Island, what would they be and why? Oh, if I could only take three whiskies, oh, I really like Rassi Whisky. I think you know it's one of the the new whiskies that I think they've done incredibly well in and what they've made. I like their original one. I really like the the kind of red caster from. So I would take a Rassi Whisky, something new. I think I would take a blend. I actually think I would take something genuinely like Johnny Walker so I could remember that the entire industry is based on blends because you would remember home and you'd remember like the huge, huge, huge industry exists because of this bottle. So I'd probably take a Johnny Walker. And my third one would probably have to be Lagavulin. Just because when I started doing my book, it was the thing that made me realise a different of whiskies and how differently they could all taste. So those would be my three desert island rams. And I don't know what my three chocolates would be. I was going to say, do they all go with chocolate? All go with chocolate. I think I would just take all of the chocolate, basically. <laughs> like if somebody could tell me I was going to this desert island, I would just go into to Cameron's and just go, please give me all of your chocolate. <laughs> I want all the bare bones chocolate. And I want all of everybody else's chocolate. Then I will just spend the rest of my life with these three whiskies and trying all the chocolate. So what's the difference between you guys and Chocolatiers?
2: So the difference is that we make the chocolate from scratch, so we import cocoa beans. Because we import the cocoa beans and we roast them and then we grind them and conch them before tempering them into bars, that means we can tailor our process to get all these incredible flavours from the cocoa bean and make the most incredible chocolate. Whereas a Chocolatier, they buy in couverture chocolate. Um, and then melt it down and maybe add flavourings and different things or add other ingredients. So that's the real difference, is is we make the the chocolate from bean to bar.
0: And is that quite rare? So there's
2: a handful of people in the UK doing it. There's a lot more in America. America's about 10 years ahead of the UK, um, but we see that coming over to the UK. There's more makers trying chocolate, making chocolate, and and the industry's really growing here.
0: There's part of the podcast called My Life in Food, so it's five questions to do with food, if you just tell me the first thing that comes into your head. So whenever I'm hungry, I think of... Lasagna. Comfort food for me is...
2: Probably lasagna.
0: <laughs> my favourite childhood dessert is...
2: It was it was chocolate.
0: My food heaven is... Lasagna. And
1: my food hell is...
2: Negroni's.
1: Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks very much for having us.
0: Next up, I met with Jamie Hutchin of Coco Ooze to talk about what he's learned about this ever popular food product since he started his business as a teenager. We are here today to talk all about chocolates, which is a great topic of conversation. But before we get into all that, how did the business come about? Have you come from a kind of foodie background or or how did it all start?
3: Founded the business when I was 17, uh, back in 2008, so quite a number of years ago. Uh, my background is a chef. I started in catering from about 13 years old, helping a friend's pub, making some meals at the weekend. I then started apprenticeship in uh, food at a five-star hotel in Aberdeen and really started to fall in love with the patissier side. Um, and what I found quite interesting was how intricate it was. It wasn't just a case of, how to make a batch of scones with my nana when I was eight years old. It was actually the intricate things that can go really right or also can go quite wrong um, in the kitchen. And one thing when I was doing my apprenticeship was actually the chocolate side was so fascinating. And I think what I was more used to was just consuming a bar of chocolate and not realising actually what goes into a bar of chocolate Uh, it was more about the you know me enjoying it and tasting it i then went on a training course and learned all about the art of chocolate making and that's when i really fell in love with it and what i most enjoyed about it was you know the understanding the flavors infusions and different compositions that chocolate can create and really have a different textures and and mouthfeel on it. So I've got that foodie background. I'm a complete foodie at heart.
0: And do you come from a family of foodies?
3: I'm probably the only family member that's kind of took the catering career path but my Nana was involved um, in kitchens very early days but not so much from my kind of my parents brothers or sisters I kind of was the kind of first one in my immediate family to take that and a huge step you know leaving school you know not so much academically going straight into to kitchens working 18, hours a week but what I liked about it's the buzz, the creativity and that.
0: And do you remember what your first kind of memory of food is? Like, do you have a sort of standout thing where you think, well, wow, that's kind of what got me into like this love of it? I think
3: my standout memory was probably helping my mum and nan in the kitchen baking. I remember every year for my eighth birthday, I always used to get something related to kitchen or the new gadget. I remember one year um, getting a Jamie Oliver cook set and apron and I thought I was looking at the best chef in the whole wide world and I was going to, you know, be on TV and do all this in the in, in future. So it was quite an interesting, you know, from such a young age Um, and that's all I kind of, all I knew was food. My hobby was the kitchen, effectively, and that's all I knew. So I probably had a a career destined for me by my love. But I think that that equated probably to My love for eating the product as well. Like us all, you know, we're probably all natural foodies at heart, but for me, it's it's both sides the making and the eating. I think some people could be very much enjoy making it, you know, or or vice versa, but um, certainly I call it quality controlling.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> um, and do you, yourself, this is a poorly daft question, but do you yourself have quite a sweet tooth?
3: Yes. Um, and I think, I think the thing is everything in moderation. But for, for me, I am a, you know, I, I'm a chocolate, you know, at heart. I love testing new products. I'm probably a, you know, a milk chocolate kind of guy if we're, we're going to profile it. But something simple, orange, honeycomb, these sort of things. I also do like to be quite adventurous with some of the the products that we do try to make. Um, But I do like things sweet. But I'm always disappointed normally when I go out to a lot of places. I tend to have a starter because I don't then have to be disappointed on my dessert um, because I'm always... Uh, uh, quite a bad critic when it comes to that um, and I don't know I just say how it feels so from that perspective I can just stick to a starter um, and then you know at least if I make something myself I'll know I'll be happy with it using good quality chocolate or whatever it may be within that product.
0: So can you just talk us through for anyone that doesn't know the sort of process of being a, a chocolatier and making chocolate? One of the guests on the podcast is Bare Bones and I know they make chocolate but it's a little bit different for a chocolatier
3: isn't it? Absolutely yeah so there's quite a lot of different intricate stages onto it so we are a secondary manufacturer which basically we we add value through our tempering process we add value through um, ingredients and flavors so we buy a single noted chocolate that you know comes from lots of different cocoa farmers around the world the chocolate is then um, come to us in a format where we can then process it into final products, and that's where we really add value. So that flavours that we have, so for instance, our licorice and black pepper, we actually profile the notes that you know go well with a gin. That was also a Scotland Food and Drink Award winner back in twenty eighteen, I think that was. And for us, it is about that experience led that we really are the creative chocolatier, and that could come from anything from our products but also our experiences we have. So chocolate making is quite a complex subject area. And if you're making from bean to bar, you know, it's quite a long process. Your batch flavor profile can change. And we have done some of that in the past, but we are kind of customer sit is really that added value that we offer within our products that we create.
0: And would there be any part of your job that you would think that people might find surprising? And
3: that's a really interesting question. And I think what people think is they almost think you're a Willy Wonka and they almost think you've got this Oompa Loompas in the background and chocolate rivers and all that. And it's very much stainless steel tables, you know, melting tanks. It's a very different setup than probably what people think it is. For more from a production setup. And I think people just think that we get to play about all day and make new flavours. The most surprising thing is, is probably batch sizes. You know, when we're making something, you know, we're still a, a relatively small manufacturer processing about five to six tons of chocolate per year, but we still make everything batch size. So the largest. Truffle batch will do 250 chocolates at a time. I always came up with the same analogy. It was actually my Nana that taught me. If you try to double a recipe, it doesn't always work. And I always think that's the same in chocolate making. It doesn't quite work out. The flavour profile, the balancing changes. So I think that's probably the most surprising thing is the batch sizes that, that we do as a company and also the labour it takes. Because people think, well, you make more quantity, the time should be less because you can automate things. With us, unfortunately, we could be making 2,000 chocolates, but that's still eight batches we need to make to, you know, to create that. So it's still the same process that's involved within that, but then Christmas time, if we need extra resources, it's not machinery; it's personnel we take on, you know, to in order to fulfil that demand to make sure we can really, you know, hit the requirements for our for our quantities that we need to create.
0: And something else you offer is um, chocolate classes. So how did all that come about?
3: So chocolate classes have been probably eight nine years now probably 2011 2012 roughly maybe about that time uh, we actually started working with some um, stockists that we supply um, and we started doing tastings and people were interested in you know the product that I was making and it wasn't mainstream and it was very different to what they were used to um, and people were started interested you know how did you make these and folks said oh, I would love to learn that and I went Actually, well, if I've got a skill, why can't I share my skill and share my knowledge? So we started doing a test and the first couple of classes were, were oversubscribed. So we then started going, well, there's obviously demand here. We started getting inquiries for kids' birthday parties and adults' workshops and you know, pre COVID, you know, we were doing about two hundred and twenty parties and workshops per year. Our numbers are slightly down at the moment, and um, you know, due to various factors beyond our control. But you know what we're trying to be is a destination place so people will come to us so we do um workshops for kids birthday parties or kids workshops that can just come and make some chocolate with us we also do adults workshops and that's when they can make their own chocolate as well so we did offer different formats we've had things like corporate bookings and hen parties and um, so we're quite flexible in our offering that we do have um for that they are unique in I um, normally personally take some of the workshops myself. I quite like seeing that my skill, you know, can be taught to people and, you know, they can enjoy it. We've got people from home bakers coming onto this, you know, people just who love chocolate, just find out a bit more about the interesting process. Um, we've also trained chefs in the past that have come onto our workshops. We've also trained some chocolate companies. Um, so I think for us, it's about that sort of community and, you know, the things that people use in a workshop they can then buy from us so we're we're trying to create that kind of community of kind of creative people and it's amazing when you start seeing the the attendees on your workshop you know posting on social media about some of the stuff they've made and the biggest thing about it is having fun you know the structure to our workshops is very you know lots of choices to be made but it is very um, enjoy yourself and you know do something different and I think that's where the experience really comes in.
0: So you're based up in Aberdeen, Um, does your location in the northeast of Scotland affect the flavours that you create?
3: interesting Um, so we do take inspiration from some of the areas but the challenge we've always got is our products come from warmer climates Um, we did actually try to grow chocolate in the north of Scotland Um, no comment on how that went (laughs) obviously not too well Um, the harsh environments that we do have Um, I love Aberdeen and I think you know we've got a fantastic larder up here the challenge in chocolate making is some of the products um, don't naturally always fit because you know shelf life one of the biggest things and one of the biggest barriers for us in order to, to do that. So um, we do try. So if we can get it locally, we try to go further afield. So our Salt Caramel bars, is Eilis guy's sea salt in it. You know, So we try where possible try to offer that something that has got local. We're proud to only use Scottish and UK suppliers or distributors. Um, And I think that's quite a unique point in in chocolate. All our packaging is bought locally, our labels are made just down in Edinburgh. And I think for us, it's a huge part um, of adding value to our supply chain within local and national economies. But I think, yeah, the flavour profile, we're really determined by what our customers want. We will always continue to sell things like honeycomb and raspberry bars, it so will always do well. But what we do add is different. So at the moment, um, you know, we're doing things like crannock and truffles and haggis flavours and whiskey flavour truffles and we're using local whiskey. Um, and I think that's there's a huge market for that. But then we offer something different with like our licorice and black pepper or maple and pecan bar um, or gin and tonic. So I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to be creative, but have something that suits a wide marketplace because everybody has got different tastes and, and textures and styles that they like. So we really try to showcase that within our ranges that we create.
0: I feel like things chocolate pairings have become quite popular just now and one of the things we've talked about is whiskey and chocolate pairing, but we're also you know, you can also do gin and chocolate pairing. So how how do you feel about that and does that kind of thing sort of Drive some of your inspiration for flavors.
3: Absolutely, you know, with us having the tagline of the creative chocolate tea, we've always got a creative element to our business. And it was actually a good couple of years ago we actually started doing tasting events when we had our retail premises, and we did gin and chocolate, uh, wine and chocolate, rum and chocolate, whiskey and chocolate tastings. The most popular one, surprisingly, was actually gin and chocolate because a lot of people, you know, chocolate doesn't naturally profile match with gin. But what we did was picked up the flavors uh, the botanicals in the chocolate. And that was actually one of our bars, the Licorice and Black Pepper, was matched with a a gin here in Aberdeen. And that's where it went on to actually win the Scotland Food and Drink Award. Because it was so different and it was actually really enhancing the flavour profile within the gin, but equally the flavour profile in the gin enhanced the chocolate. So it was really a kind of, you know, a match made in heaven from that perspective. And whiskey is probably one of the single markets that's still um, really important to us. Uh, We supply a lot of distilleries. We also private label products and make for other people as well. We also supply the Scotch whiskey experience in Edinburgh. We've done that for a number of years now. So we profile a Highland, a Lowland, Speyside, Isla, and a Campbelltown bar. And that's really, you know, a single kind of noted flavour that should Match the complexities within that region, um, of whiskeys that sit within it. So, I can I continue to see that that experimental flavour profile equally has been as being a strong in the future because we get an inquisitive consumer, and I think that for us is a very important for us to in order to keep, keep innovating and have that marketplace.
0: So we're in February now, and Valentine's Day is just around the corner. So is that quite a busy time of year for you?
3: Historically, Valentine's Day was never a you know, busy, busy time. And I don't mean to profile here, but I'm a typical gent, last minute. So we actually this year have invested in new products. We've got six new products for Valentine's Day and ready for, for dispatch. So we're ready for last minute purchasers as well and um, to make sure they do get there um, for the day. And um, But we've really actually, you know, invested a lot of imagery on our website really to showcase our quality of products through screen. Um, and we're really trying to get people to, to understand, you know, who we are, what we're about. And um, we've got some personalised options there. Uh, we've got our heart hot chocolate bombs. So instead of doing the standard round ones, you know we went heart shape this year. So really done something slightly different. And uh, when you look at our range against a lot what's in the marketplace, what we're trying to do is is have that unique offering within our products. And um, so I hope you know that it's we've had a. We've had some pre-orders in already, which has been fantastic. Um, So it helps us forecast and demand. um, And that will then lead us into making some more writing up up until the day. Um, And I really hope that people enjoy our creations. Nice.
0: And do you have any plans yourself or is it going to be last
3: minute? (laughs) I've got a few tricks up uh, my sleeve, I, I should say. I should have mentioned we've also got workshops that are now actually sold out, unfortunately, uh, that are just a, a day or two before Valentine's Day that we've kind of made a bit more of a Valentine's kind of effort to it. But me and my wife have been married for a couple of years now and we always kind of say, you know, the usual cliche, we'll need each other, you know, it's fine. And I always just say, oh, I'll give you some chocolate. you know. And obviously, it's a thought about gift, of course it is, you know. I think about a, a gift occasion months ahead because obviously being in the marketplace that I am in and the business is in, we you know, you've got to think constantly, you know, so it's like if it's not Christmas, you're thinking about that in you know, January and if it's Valentine's Day, you're thinking about that in September, so you're always ahead of yourself thinking about it. So when it comes to the, the occasion, I continue to say to my wife that it's a thought-out gift because it's been thought-out for months ahead even though it's just a box of chocolates. <laughs>
0: So, Jamie, it's been quite a um, difficult couple of years with COVID. So what do you think the food and drink landscape is going to be like for this year?
3: First of all, I think we are, are blessed in Scotland, and I probably take it for advantage, actually, that the diversity and rich larger that we do have right on our doorstep And I think what actually the last 18 months, two years have really taught us is to actually, you know, look around the door, look around the corner to actually see, is there a local producer doing that? I firmly believe there's a marketplace for everybody, you know, from, you know, big organizations right to small. It's all about partnership working and I think the key thing to that is, is everyone's offering something unique and different. So I know if I go to a farmer's market, I might get something unique that I maybe won't find in a supermarket, uh, but I might also get that, you know, vice versa as well. So I think it's a really good marketplace for that. I think our strength of our food and drink economy is outstanding. The challenge that we have is we don't shout about it enough. And, you know, we are proud compared to some other countries of what we've got right here in Scotland, right on our doorstep. And what I would urge people to do is really um, investigate that further, go on experiences, go on foodie adventures, you know, really showcase that. Of course, I'm gonna be biased for the Northeast of Scotland. You know, we've got some great producers here, but I think, you know, Across Scotland, we are a food-loving nation. And I think the key thing is fall in love bit that a bit more and really support that economy. And I'm always keen to get people into the sector. I'm always getting people to get, you know, wanting to find out more about, you know, the, the food and drink sector. And I've had numerous conversations, you know, it is hard work, but it's such an rewarding career, and um, and it's afforded me some you know some nice times. There's been good times. I'm, I'm bad, you know, being an entrepreneur. Um, but I think you know I, I wouldn't change it. And being a foodie at heart, I think that really really does help. Um, for for such a career that I've had to date.
0: So we've talked a little bit about um chocolate and gin pairing, how that came about for you. But would you say overall, is your chocolate does it lend itself to any particular? specific pairings, so is there anyone that goes well with wine or f- other food? Um, how would you kind of, if somebody was looking for that kind of thing, how what would you say works well with pairings?
3: I think, because we've all got different complexities of palates, I think what might work for me doesn't always work for somebody else. Um, I actually got a flavour thesaurus many years ago before we started our tastings and it's amazing what they think what food goes together but surprising some of it actually does go together um, and that's why some of our flavour combination does so for instance wine you know instantly you know people always say um, dark chocolate with red wine you know and actually you know the white or the milk should be a bit more you know the um rosy or the, or the white wine again if you want dark chocolate with your white wine what works for you might not work for me so I think each to the individual from that perspective but what I would say to people is really be adventurous um, with it and just because you don't think it might work actually could really work and I think that's what I've tried to do through our tastings and our workshops really kind of distill that creativity in people um, and try that flavours and try to see if it works because you'll be surprised actually what does work and yeah the key to this whole idea of food preparing for me was this flavor thesaurus and it was actually a wine expert that actually put me onto it and when we're doing the wine tastings I was like how am I going to come up with these you know unique ideas because I've got 100 more ideas in my mind and I'm really trying to distill them into what would actually work for for, for you know a, an audience that's got different palates and and that can be a challenge because you're trying to preempt something that you think is you know, fantastically but you might not get such a you know a warm response. Every time we always did a tasting, we always did, you know, a bit of feedback, you know, what did you do you think it worked? You know, and if it didn't work, we then refine that process. And what you actually find there were some metrics into that of certain flavours that worked better with things that didn't, so then we could actually pull them out put them into other products and showcase that flavour better. And that was really good from that perspective. So, you know, urge people to be creative in there's no wrong answer. Whatever you think and your taste and palates, you know, and and you enjoy that, you you go for it. Because my, you know, go-to drink of, you know, rum or maybe white wine or cider or something will be very different to, to other people's palates
0: and uh, just finally the, the last part of the podcast is a quick fire round called my life and food so if you tell me the first thing that comes into your head are these questions okay, that could
3: be dangerous, but yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> whenever I'm hungry I think of steak comfort food for me is
3: oh, fish and chips
0: my favourite childhood dessert is
3: mm, sticky toffee pudding it still is
0: My food heaven is...
3: Oh, my food heaven. I'm going to have to put two courses into this and I'm going to have to choose steak and sticky toffee pudding all day long.
0: And my food hell is...
3: Really strong fish. I'm not really a big kind of fish. I like kind of haddock and salmon, but yeah, fish, some really kind of strong fish, I would say. Not for me, unfortunately.
0: Well, thank you very much. And I'm looking forward to having some chocolate now.
3: (laughs) And I'm sitting here going... It's cup of tea time and it's chocolate time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking the exact same. (laughs) Thanks to my guests on this episode and thanks to you for listening. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe. Scran is a laudable podcast that's co-produced and hosted by me, Rosalind Erskine and co-produced, edited and mixed by Kelly (laughs) Crichton.